And if you would be so kind, would you uh, please take a moment and pray for me that God would uh, use uh, these words spoken this morning from his word to encourage you, to challenge you, to convict you, uh, to comfort you. Would you please pray for me? God, thank you so much for your living and active word. Thank you that you use it to form and shape us, to change us uh, for all of eternity. I pray that you would use our time together this morning to draw people to yourself. Uh, For those who are here that know you and love you, I pray that you would uh, continue that good work that you have already begun. Uh, God, we thank you so much that you have loved us with a perfect love. We love you back because you first loved us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Um, there, I'm looking out. Can, look out the back window real quick. The the one to my left, to your right. There's a there's a water slide outside. There are certain things. Like when I was a kid, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I was thinking, yeah, I think God's calling me in the ministry to be a pastor. There's certain things that I just didn't see coming. You know, I, I never thought that we would be meeting in a barn with a large pair of overalls pinned to the wall. I didn't see that coming. Some churches I saw, you know, like a, like a picture or some, some pane glass window hanging up above. Usually it was of a dove, not a mallard duck. I didn't see that coming. And I got to be honest with you, this morning when I was standing in the back and I'm like, what's going on out there? And someone told me, that there, James, is a water slide. I thought, I, I did not see that coming, but that's, uh, that's going to be fun. I know our students are going to love that uh, tonight. What a, what a great time they're going to have. Um, God oftentimes uses relationships and time spent together to form and to shape and to change us. And so I'm praying that he would do that uh, tonight. It's good to be back with you. It's good to be back in the pulpit. I'm grateful to God uh, for godly men like Al and Jordan and Phil who faithfully brought the word uh, to you while I was away, uh, both in Honduras and on vacation. I give thanks to God uh, for them and how he used them uh, to point you, to point us uh, to his son, Jesus. Um, today, this morning, I want to ask you, arguably, the most important question you could ever ask and attempt to answer. And the question that I want to ask you uh, this morning is this. What is saving faith? What is saving faith? There are lots of things that we think about, that we wrestle with, that we, we pause and give thought to throughout the course of a day. Uh, oftentimes we think about the things that are near and dear to our hearts. We think about things that we're wrestling with or struggling with or that we're experiencing in life. We might think about parenting. We might think about marriage or singleness, faith or finances, fear, anxiety. Every single day thoughts flood our minds. But I can't imagine a more important question uh, to ask uh, and to answer than that one. Uh, What is saving faith. Recently, my mom's cousin, Kenny, uh, walked into the kitchen of his daughter's house. He has twins, a total of three kids, but he has twins. They're grown. They're about 40 years old. His daughter is married. She has children of her own. And he was over at her house doing some work around the house. And he was working on her front door, painting it, I believe, and he walked into the kitchen for whatever reason, and he looked and he saw his daughter 
his little girl, uh, unresponsive on the kitchen floor. Uh, he had immediately administered CPR. Uh, 911 was called. They, they live out in the country, and so it took them a while to get there. Uh, Kenny, for roughly 30 minutes, uh, was, was breathing life into his daughter, uh, fighting uh, to keep her alive. Medical professionals say that 97% of people who experience what Jenny experienced uh, do not make it through. So the question, what is saving faith, is, is not just a question uh, for old dead guys who have written big books uh, to debate about. It, it's not for uh, the, the theological uh, student uh, to argue about or discuss in an ivory tower uh, somewhere in a smoke-filled room. The answer uh, to that question arrives on our doorstep. If it has not arrived on yours, it will. So the question I want to ask and attempt to answer this morning is what is saving faith? Uh, it is the question that James tries to answer in James chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. James chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 14 and work our way through uh, the end of the chapter. If you have a copy of the Scripture, you can pull it out now. You can certainly follow along on the screen. The passage will be up there as well. Or if you have the Version app, you can visit events, search for Christ Point Church, and you can follow along that way as well. James chapter 2, verse 14 reads, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Uh, James begins by asking essentially two rhetorical 
questions or two questions that the audience would have read or heard and they would have known the answer to. They would have understood what James was getting at or what he was asking. Uh, The first is, what good is it if someone has faith but no works? And the implied answer to that question is that it's no good. It's no good. It's no good if someone can... uh, claims to possess faith, but there are no works done in faith. It's no good if someone claims to be something, but they are acting the complete opposite of what they claim. It's no good if someone claims that they trust Jesus, but they don't act like they trust Jesus. I recently read a headline, an article. It read, the first gas station not to sell gas. That came across as funny to me. I thought to myself, if it's a gas station, they probably should sell gas. It would be like calling Pizza Hut and asking for a pizza and having them tell you, we only do wings. It would be like going to the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A and asking for a chicken sandwich and them telling you, no, we we only do burgers. It would be like going to the front counter at Panera Bread and asking for a bagel or a sandwich only to have them tell you, we we don't do bread here. It's not healthy. It just doesn't make any sense. And James is saying uh, to the church, he's saying, what good is faith without works? It's no good. James is going to argue that there is a kind of faith uh, that claims to be something that it's not. There is a kind of faith that doesn't save you. Faith that doesn't produce works done in love is dead or useless. Maybe you're here this morning and we read that passage together and you hear just a little bit about it and you think to yourself, well, (laughs) wait a second. It sounds like if I didn't know better, that, that James was telling the church that saving faith is faith plus something else. And if you were to put on your little theological cap and you know a few verses in Scripture enough to be dangerous, you would say to yourself, isn't there someone else that kind of came along that said the exact opposite of that? Maybe you think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 27, when he wrote to the church in Rome, Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Faith alone. That's what Paul said. He continues, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Romans 4 verse 1, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. 
For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Did you catch those last verses? Verse 5, but to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So Paul writes to the church at Romans, says, you're saved by faith. Just think about the life and testimony of Abraham. And James writes to the church and says, faith without works is dead. Just remember, Father Abraham. So wait a second. I mean, if we didn't know better, we might read something like that and say it seems like it's contradictory. It seems like Paul goes out of his way to say that we're saved by faith and not by works. And it, and it seems just on the surface that, that James is saying faith without works is, is dead. It's, it's useless. So what do we do? when we come to God's Word and we read something that maybe we don't understand or seems to contradict something in another place in God's Word, like how do we respond? One thing that I do is I remind myself that I didn't write the book. Not the sharpest tool in the shed. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I, I remind myself that I'm not all-knowing. I start there. I come under the word and say, "God, like help me, like help help us." I don't I don't know if I understand this. I remind myself that God doesn't contradict Himself. He doesn't change the rules of the game uh, midstream. He's not a toddler. If you ever play a game with a toddler, they they kind of make up the rules and they orchestrate them in such a way where they can be successful and then when they are not being successful, they change the rules of the game. They move the target. God doesn't do that. He doesn't move the target on us. So what do we do? We remind ourselves that we are finite. God's infinite. We remind ourselves that God doesn't contradict Himself. If there's something that we don't understand or that we can't explain, then we come to the Word come underneath the Word and we say, God, help us understand. One of the things that's helpful for me is to kind of take a step back and go, well, what, do I, what do I know? Like, what seems clear to me based on what James is saying here? And one thing that seems clear is that James is making an argument that there is a kind of faith that doesn't save. You read the passage and, and he, he talks about different kinds of faith, or at least he couches it in different ways to go, hey, this thing that someone has that thinks saves them actually doesn't. And he's going to put some names to it, or at least describe it. And, and the, the first name or the first thing that he, he calls a faith that doesn't save is, is dead faith. Dead faith uh, doesn't save us. Someone says that he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? And, and James said no. And then he, he illustrates it. He gives us an illustration. He, this is like, for example, 
Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? I mean, it's, it's no good. James begins and says, brothers and sisters. This was unique that he did that. Uh, women oftentimes in society were desperate, or more desperate or destitute, uh, living in a society that viewed them very differently than they did men. Uh, oftentimes a woman, if she was not married, she needed provision, she needed protection. And so James goes out of his way to, to use as an example brothers and sisters. And so this person that James talks about that he gives as an example um, does not have the necessary clothing that they need to protect themselves from the elements. And they are lacking daily food. Maybe you read this or heard this this morning and it caused you to think of the Lord's Prayer. Right? When one is encouraged to pray to God for daily bread. Well, oftentimes the way that God answers that prayer is through His people. God doesn't personally show up on the doorstep with a bag of groceries. He uses people like you and me uh, to, to bless others. Here in this illustration, he's painting a picture of someone essentially who sees someone in need, someone who claims to be rightly related to God, who has saving faith. They see someone in they, who, who is in need and, and basically says to them, like, God bless you. Or if they were in the South, they would say something like, oh, bless his heart. Bless her heart. Maybe if they were a little um, more harsh, uh, they, they might say something like, well, good luck with all that. Better you than me. James says that's that's not saving faith. When when we as the people of God see needs in front of us and before us and we do nothing about it, just functionally we are operating with what the Bible would call a a dead faith. Now I, I... I say that this morning, and I have questions. I go, wait a second. I mean, you can't. I mean, you can't help everyone. I mean, there's a ton of needs out there. We can't fix all the world's problems. Can't save the world. Those folks probably made some bad decisions. I mean, I have all these thoughts flood my mind and oftentimes this is just this is just me but oftentimes the thoughts that flood my mind are thoughts that justify me doing nothing and so this is I mean this is challenging this is challenging for for me James writes, dead, dead faith doesn't save. He, he's making an argument, he's making a biblical argument that saving faith produces good works. Works, described in other places, is works done in love. 
One author writes, works here are not the Pauline works of the law, such as circumcision, but rather the works of love, such as caring for those who are in need, not showing favoritism, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, being humble or being slow to speak. In essence, works are the sum total of a changed life brought about by faith. Where Paul denies the need for pre-conversion works, James emphasizes the absolute necessity of post-conversion works. James calls a faith that does not bring about a changed life dead, lifeless, and useless. So maybe you hear that and you have some objections. And you go, wait, wait a second. I have questions about that. You're not alone. Uh, apparently, people in the church, James wrote, had, they had questions too. And so he, he's going to have a dialogue with someone who's pushing back a little bit. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. It's the argument that they're making. You have faith, I have works. James says, but show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Um, Dead faith does not save. And you could also argue that demonic faith doesn't save. Maybe it's a a harsh word, a way to couch it. But but James is painting a picture here of someone who's making an argument that is separating faith and works. And they're kind of like, you do your faith thing and I'm going to do my works thing. And James is like, no, 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 no. Like I'm going to show you my my faith uh, by my works of love. And then he gives an example and he he talks about like you you believe that God is one. In other words, you're theologically astute. Like you're sharp. I mean, if if you were taking the theology exam, like you, you would admit I'm monotheistic. I believe that God is one. I'm a big fan of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the great Shema. I am I'm for that. I believe that. I agree with it. And James essentially says to that person, like, bravo. The demons believe that and shudder. Theological accuracy is not the same as saving faith. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, you can say that again. (laughs) All that theology mumbo-jumbo, I've never been a big fan. (laughs) Luther this, Calvin that, whatever. I ain't got time for that. I just want to love Jesus. Uh, James isn't saying that. James isn't saying that our thoughts about God and who He has revealed Himself to be in His Word don't matter. He's not making that argument. He, he is not suggesting uh, to the, the Berean in us, the Bible student who hears the Word and goes home and goes, wait a second. What do I... Is that right? Is what? He, he's, not, he's not poo-pooing that kind of mindset or mentality. He's not encouraging the church not uh, to think What Jesus is saying is that you can get the the, uh, theological question on the exam right and and, and get it wrong. You can have better theology than every parishioner in the church or even the pastor in the pulpit and you can still not know 
God. James, James argues you can know the right things about God and not know God. He writes, even the demons believe about that and shudder. Uh, the word shudder there refers to uncontainable, uncontrollable, violent shaking from extreme fear. Dead faith doesn't save, demonic faith doesn't save, and dormant faith doesn't save. Look at verse 20 in James chapter 2. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active all along with his works and that faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Look at verse 20. You have, uh, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? It's useless. It's dormant. It doesn't move. It doesn't act. Apparently, that kind of faith doesn't save. And James points to the examples of Abraham and Rahab uh, to demonstrate that their faith was was something that caused them uh, to move and uh, to act. We're, we're given examples again and again in Scripture of the, the overflow of faith in our hearts. But we, we see it here in James. We, we even read about it in, in Paul's writings in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. I think Paul gives clarity to what James is referring to in James chapter 2 when he talks about faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. Paul isn't making an argument that it's faith plus works. He is saying that your saving faith uh, produces love in you for God and uh, for others. Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then... Paul writes, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you saved by faith alone? But then your, your faith works itself out in love toward God and others. As someone once said, we are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. Faith causes us, moves in us to do something, to move and to act. Maybe you hear that and you think to yourself, well, how, like, how do I know? Because all of us at our worst can point to something and go, that's not faith that acts. That's brokenness and sin in my own human heart. So how, how, how can I have any assurance? How do I know that I'm right with God? Like, what, what does that look like? There are plenty of places in Scripture where God gives comfort to His kids and says, I want you to know that if you are mine, I'm not going to let you go. You are mine. 
And there are places in Scripture where the Bible doesn't want us convinced that we are something that we're not. And I think we stand in that, that tension and we wrestle. But we wrestle. What is saving faith? Saving faith is faith alone in the finished work of Jesus that works itself out in love. What, what, are, what are acts of love? that faith works itself out in, acts of, of love, are when we love our neighbor. And we pursue them and we chase after them and we have spiritual conversations with them. Acts of love are when we, when we serve in CP Kids and pour gospel truth into the hearts and lives of sons and daughters hoping and praying that by the grace of God, God would open their eyes to the beauty of Jesus. Acts of love are when we see someone in need and even at cost or great cost to ourselves, we're willing to be inconvenienced and uncomfortable for the sake of another. Those works, those acts do not save us those works of love are evidence uh, that we are children of God. What is saving faith? I think it's the most important question uh, for us to spend our days asking and answering. And it's not just a theological debate. Man, is it practical. It was practical for uh, for Kenny, the day that he walked into his kitchen and he saw his little girl unresponsive. Uh, Kenny wrote an email two days ago. He said, this is going to be my last email. And this is what he wrote. He said, this past month we have experienced every human emotion known to mankind, I think. Uh, and it has been rewarding. First and foremost, all of us have been dragged into a closer relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Speaking for myself, I thought our relationship was pretty good. Uh, God made it clear that he wanted more. As a sidebar, let me encourage anyone who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior to seriously consider the truth of God's word. It states all have sinned and without God's gift, uh, that's Jesus and his accomplished work on the cross. Uh, you and I are heading to a place that no one wants to go. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Don't be deceived into thinking that your church or your pope or that living a good life is saving you. And don't think that you have time on your side. Uh, no one is promised tomorrow. Life is fragile. It can be taken in the blink of an eye. So uh, know this. Uh, Jesus loves you. He died to offer you to give you eternal life. Don't ignore God's greatest gift. 97% of people who experienced what Jenny experienced that day uh, do not make it. Uh, Jenny is in the 3%. For 100% of us, 100%, there will be a day when when we breathe our last breath. And unless Jesus comes back, um, there, there will be a day when we will breathe our last breath. And we don't know when that is. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 
60, 70 years from now. Uh, but there will be a day. And so asking the question, what is saving faith? And wrestling with and grappling with uh, the answer is of the utmost importance. My hope and prayer for, uh, for you, if you uh, do not know Jesus, if you have not, by the grace of God, trusted in the finished work of Jesus, that God would give to you um, an active and living and a vibrant faith in the finished work of Christ, and that faith would produce in you acts of love uh, for a watching world to see uh, the beauty of God's Son. Let's pray and ask God to do that now. God, thank you for your living and active word. I thank you that you use it to form and shape us. I thank you that you invite us to wrestle with it, uh, to... Uh, admit that we don't always have the answers and that we need your Holy Spirit whom you've given uh, to your sons and daughters to open our eyes and help us to see. Uh, God, I pray this morning uh, for men and women uh, who are here this morning, if they, if they don't know Jesus, if they have not uh, trusted in the finished work of Christ, uh, Lord, I pray that your Spirit might uh, convict them and draw them to yourself. Lord, thank you for the hope and the life that is ours because of Jesus. Uh, We love you and we thank you so much that you loved us first. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen.